Last Tuesday, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I collapsed under it. It started because I'd listened to a podcast about Venezuela, and it weighed so heavy on my heart. It talked about what was going on there, what the government wasn't doing, and how it was breaking the spirit of the people. But then my mind shifted to our country and so many things that I felt hopeless for. So many tragedies, so many disasters, the politics, and it felt like things were just never going to change. But then I started beginning to feel hopeless about the community, about the church, about my work, about my ministry, about finances in all these different areas, that there was just too much to do, too little time, too little that I could change. And then it went to myself and my family. I began losing faith when I began thinking about all the medical issues that we were dealing with. It felt like just making a simple decision was too much to handle. And all this happened when I was in the parking lot of a Costco. <laughs> and I'm being serious. I was pushing my cart in the middle of Costco and just broke down crying. Thankfully, I asked for help. I sent a number of SOS text messages of, help, I need prayer, can you pray for me? And I'm very grateful because I received prayer and support from many of my close friends. Um, one of my coworkers, Ben, he invited me to do work with him and just sit there, um, just needing some company. Um, other people, a handful of members of this congregation also prayed for me. Um, one of you actually called me up and asked, what can I get you for dinner tonight, my treat? Um, someone else came over and offered prayer at my house. Um, honestly, there's just too much to do, too little time. And when I said, I think I need to cancel our committee meeting tonight, all my committee members were like, we're praying for you. Please take whatever time you need. And to let you know, I suffer from chronic depression. So sometimes things that are heavy go much heavier than they probably should be. Um, but I want to ask you, how many of you have ever felt like that. And I understand that you may not suffer from depression or any other mental illness, but have you ever felt so overburdened by the many things in your life? Have you ever felt that there were so many problems that just couldn't be solved? Have you ever just felt in your personal life that there was so much to do, but so little time? You see, I think that this is a perennial question. We look in literature, like Harry Potter, um, his friend Hermione, who's kind of the cla class nerd, she sees that there's so many classes that she wants to take, so little time, so she gets a magical device called the time turner. And so it makes her go back in time to take additional classes that she would have missed because they're going on <laughs> at the same time. I know, I know. How many parents are wishing they had kids who wish they had more classes? But I think that this is what our generation faces. There's so many th good things out there. We don't want to miss out on them, so we want to do them all, and there just isn't any time. But at what cost does that come? But even if we go back a few decades, back when the home in-home washer-dryer and the microwave were being introduced, you know, there are discussions that this would actually lead to the demise of modern civilization as we knew it. You see, with all the time that was saved, with cooking and household chores, people would have so much free time on their hands that they would become lazy because they wouldn't know what to do with it. 
man, with all these developments like email, I feel like I have so much free time in the world. But we see, even if we go back centuries to the Bible, this issue of so much to do, so little time, is something that Moses himself faced. And so let's turn to Scripture, to Exodus 18, to see what it says there. It says, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Wherever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I'll give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their dispute to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide for themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The most difficult cases they brought to Moses, simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. The reading of the word. Now, I think it's important to bring some context to this passage You see, I think sometimes when we imagine Moses and the Israelites in the desert, we just imagine a number of all these little tents and everything. But the book of Numbers actually says that there are 600,000 people, and most likely it was just counting men, so it might be understated. But imagine this. It was one person pastoring, shepherding, settling all the conflicts and disputes over 600,000 people. This congregation is almost at 300, and we have more than one person taking care of it. But to put it in perspective, 600,000 people would be as if one person, one pastor, was overseeing the city of Placentia, of Fullerton, of Brea, of Yorba Linda, and all of Anaheim as well. One person for all those people to rely on, to come to their disputes with. Now, here's the interesting thing. In the first part of Exodus, I believe that we see the story of God taking his people out of Egypt. But then in the next part, the story is how God is trying to take Egypt out of the people. You see, he is taking it out of Moses right now. These are burdens not imposed by Pharaoh, not imposed by a dictator, but rather imposed on himself. 
He is a slave to himself, to his schedule, to the demands made on his time and energy every single day. But I want to ask us, how many of us can relate to Moses? We make demands of ourselves. Maybe we rate ourselves on a scale of 10. It's like, on a scale of 1 to 10, I need to be a perfect 10 spouse. I need to be a perfect 10 parent. I need to be a perfect 10 at work. And we place those demands on ourselves. Or maybe we say to ourselves, well, I can't be a 10, but at least I can be a 7. A 7 may not be the best, but at least it's better than most. Or maybe we feel it burdening on us. And we're like, well, maybe if I'm just a 5, I can make it. But I definitely don't want to be lower than that. You see, the story that we see in Moses, we see in ourselves today because these are constant battles that we see, even in our own culture, that there are barriers that we have for us to ask for help. And here are the ones that I see in this story and in our lives today. I think the first barrier is control. We see Moses say, the people come to me. I need to make the decisions. They are counting on me to know the laws of God and the decrees. But the reality is, Moses doesn't have the monopoly on what God's will is. He could share it with other people. But how many of us get worried if I give that responsibility to someone else? They're not going to do it exactly the way that I want it. Who knows? They might even screw it up. I might need to go back and correct it. But how many of us are scared of letting go of that control? The second aspect, I think, that can be a barrier is self-reliance. In our country, one of the values that is here is self-reliance, that we can do it ourselves, that if I work hard enough, I can do it. I don't need anyone's help. But we actually see that scripture reflects the value of interdependence. One, that man was not created, or man, it is not good for man to be alone, but God created partnership to be there. And we also have interdependence on God. That self-reliance is a myth, that it's okay, is a myth, and it, I would just want to say it's okay for us to ask for help. And then the last part is there's a barrier to be overburdened. Or rather, we see how overburdened we are, and we project that onto others. Like, no, I can't ask them for help. If I'm busy, I'm sure they're busy. I don't want to give them another thing to do. But do we ever see, do we listen to the outside advice that what we're doing, the amount of burden that we're carrying is not good and we need to ask for help? You see, this reminds me of a story of a pastor friend that I had. Um, so unexpectedly, his son passed away and he entered into a deep period of grieving and mourning. In fact, um, you know, I, I believe that he slipped into depression and he stopped taking care of himself, he stopped taking care of the house, and, you know, people from the church were like, hey, we could help out, do you want a meal or anything? And he's like, no, no, that's okay, I'm good. Um, can we help clean up a bit? No, it's okay, I'm good. But then one day, a young man who did a lawn mowing service knocked on his door, he's like, hey, I just noticed that your lawn needs some care, is it okay if I just take care of that? And fed up, he's just like, okay, fine, you do whatever you want to do, uh, but just don't bother me. And so this young man just started putting on his headphones, listening to worship music, pushing his lawnmower. And as my friend saw it through the window, he realized he was worshiping God, that this act of service was a worship to God. And this is what he told me. Don't rob someone else of the opportunity to be a blessing to serve. 
I think sometimes we can feel like we have control, that we can feel self-reliant, or sometimes we don't want to overburden others. But other times when we reject others' offers, we rob them of an opportunity to be a blessing. You know, this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes from uh, a sci-fi series that I like called Firefly. When we can't run, we crawl. And when we can't do that, we find someone to carry us. You see, earlier in the week, I had a phone call with me hermano, Pastor Alfredo. And there were a number of things that we were talking about regarding this Sunday, this sermon. But one thing that was prominent in my mind was what I went through last week. I was overburdened. I was relying on myself. I had to let go of control. That I don't have a monopoly on this teaching. I don't need to have the spotlight. I don't need to be a perfect 10 preacher. But rather, I needed someone to carry me. I needed someone to partner with. I needed someone to collaborate with. And now I invite mi hermano, Pastor Alfredo, to share his own reflections on what I just shared, as well as his own thoughts on the scripture as well. So, Tim, um, as you can see, everyone, everybody, today we are doing uh, something different. We, today we are doing Tim, Tim Fredo. Can you hear that, Tim Fredo? Tim Fredo. It's not Tom Fredo today, but Tim Fredo. Um, yeah, talking about collaboration, right? Um, Tim and I, like he said, decided that we needed to do this sermon together. Uh, now, Tim, let me tell you what I heard from you this morning as you, if you were sharing uh, the Word of God. The first thing that you said that really captured my, my imagination was, you know, when you were talking about your personal struggles and your story, you say something like this, um, Thankfully, I asked for help. And I thought that that is a powerful statement because some people will not say, thankfully. Some people might say, should, I have to ask for help. <laughs> the other thing that you say was, um, you know, this is kind of funny, but some people would like to do this. Uh, make up classes or maybe other possible classes. I don't know if you ever felt that way. I had. I wish I would will, will really wanted to go back in time and start learning baseball when I was five. <laughs> but I didn't. I learned something else. But that's okay. Um, no, you say something like, God is trying to take Egypt out of his people. That was something that is important because we are, sometimes we are not aware of that. And sometimes we are fighting over it. And God is actually saying, hey, by the way, I want, to be, I want you to be free, but you need to get, give, give back some stuff and let go sometime uh, more of what you are thinking. And one of them is control, self-reliance, and overburden. Um, and you say something like this too. Uh, I, I heard it this way. You didn't say it this way. But I, I don't want to be the pastor, the only pastor or the only leader or the only person serving uh, Fullerton, Brea, Placentia, Yorba Linda, Anaheim, Venezuela, and whatever. Right? Because you know you have limitations like I do have limit, limits or limitations. And finally, you say something like this. Don't rob someone else the opportunity to be a blessing. And I really believe that we do that a lot uh, in our own culture. 
you know, talking about United States of America, you know, I, I cannot tell you how many times I have said, I, I, I have asked people, may I help in the prison? No, no, no. I don't know what that means, but I think it's English. <laughs> so I understand that that means, no, thank you. But that was in another, in another tongue. <laughs> and I don't know that language really well, but I try. So, but thank you so much. I'd like to now do, do my part, and I'd like to invite you to do the same when I'm done. I will invite you quickly. Thank you, brother. Um, will you put your hands together for this brother? Thank you, Tim. Gracias, Timoteo. So, control, self-reliance, and overburden. That's, that's a word that will be applied easily for an immigrant to go to any country, uh, either if that country is called paradise or America. Right? I, didn't, I, I don't know. Let's see. Let's try it again. Even if that country is called par paradise, Oh, America. Wow, finally. Good. All right. So my father-in-law, his name is Freddy, by the way. And that means little Alfred in English. You know that, right? It means little Alfred, Freddy, that's Alfredo, Alfred. He told me uh, in 2002, he told me, I would, like a, I would like to propose to you a, fina a fi financial training. And, okay, you know, fathers-in-law and mothers-in-law, they propose a lot of things. And then he said, it will help you not only to keep go doing well, he's very diplomatic, he knows how, what to say and how to say it, not only to keep doing well, but also to be even better, to do even better. Uh, oh, okay, I wanna, let's, let's talk. The training will be for you and for Carolina. You don't have to do it if you don't want it. Now, he's speaking like an American now. But think about it and let me know when you, when, what you have think later on. That was in 2002 in North Hollywood, California. We did take it. Now, he gave us, and he gave me at least, a nice st a stimulus, or a, a nice promise. He told me, you can try it for a month or two, and if it doesn't work, you can go back to your previous practice. He also told me something that I even like even more. He, saw, he said, whoever, brought, whoever brings more, uh, the bigger uh, income will have the bigger, ready for new word in Spanish from Venezuela, uh, he, he will have the bigger mesada. No mesada, but mesada which means allowance, to do whatever he or she wanted to do for that month. Like, okay, yeah, that's good. You know, because my wife and I, we have a common budget. At least we try to do that for the most of the time that we have been together. And, um, and after 16 years, I can tell you that it does work. By the grace of God and by my father-in-law advice and training, and also because of my wife's steady and faithful commitment to sticking to it, even when it could have been done or it could, be, it, could be, it could have been easier not to. Like when I have been trying to convince her that we could try something else, meaning financially. 
How do you call that? Well, I call it, or you can call it collaboration, right? But I also call it in another way. I call it humility, flexibility, and empowering. Yes, let's speak about it a little bit uh, this morning. Humility. You know, humility, you can define humility in many ways. But for me, at least, humility is the ability and determination of recognizing our own capacity and our own limits. A humble person is not somebody who says, I don't know a lot. Oh, don't tell me that. That's for God's glory. Or stuff like that. Or sometimes that person says, I'm very stupid when the person is very bright. But that person is saying well, something that is called de- deprecation. You, cannot, you, you try to take a little bit of yourself so that you don't look that big or that great. But humility is the ability and the determination uh, to recognize your capacity and your limits. Moses knew about it because the Bible says that he was one of the most humble men on earth. When he was attacked, you know, by his sister Miriam and his brother Aaron and many other people, he normally tended to rely on the Lord, not on himself. And he was a powerful guy, but he didn't do that. He, he was able to recognize that there were some stuff that needed to be uh, recognized as such as a limitation. Moses showed that by listening to his father-in-law. As we celebrate Palm Sunday today, we will notice that the religious leaders in Jerusalem, if you remember the reading of the story of the Jesus, you know, that what is called the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, which was maybe not triumphal, but it was an entry into Jerusalem. And, you know, the religious leaders, they didn't, know, didn't welcome Jesus as they were supposed to because they could not listen to his message and could not accept his ways, his ways, his way of life and powerful, powerful miracles. You know, they couldn't put this guy into a box. They could not put Jesus in a little box called religious practices. So they didn't welcome him. They couldn't understand how a person like Jesus would be welcomed, like he was welcomed by the little kids and and by some people, by the crowd. They made a big deal of this guy because they they wanted to see and find hope. And Jesus brought that hope, right? Jesus was carrying that hope, and people knew that when they were blind, he healed them. When they were mute, he opened their mouth. When they were, um, you know, deaf. He opened their ears when they were unable to walk. He gave them new legs. Right? And when they were dead, he brought them, some of them, back to life. And these people, the religious powerful people, couldn't understand. They could not understand how a person like Jesus will behave the way he did. And would talk the way he did. So they were powerful, but they didn't have a recognition of their own limitations. So they lack some humility. Are you with me? And so Moses wasn't like that. Moses, Moses 
he listened to his father-in-law, even though he was a very powerful, powerful prince in the past, and maybe he was the associate manager or something like that with Jethro, his father-in-law. But, and now he was the powerful leader of 600,000 people, Tim, or at least, to the least, 600,000. Some people have said that it's only 60,000. Other people say it only 10,000. Doesn't matter, 10,000, 6,000. That's a lot of people, by the way. And Moses was that guy leading these people, and he was able to recognize, wow, that father-in-law maybe was from Venezuela. He told him directly, what you're doing is wrong. You know, he didn't come across like, hey, by the way, let me talk to you about something that you need to listen to. Let's go inside and have a cup of coffee. That's the way I will do it, probably. And that's not bad. That's good, because I'm not Jethro, neither Moses. I'm just Alfredo. And, um, but Jethro, they have a great relationship. And he told him directly, what you doing, Moses? And he said that in front of some people, okay, by the way. It's not good. And Moses could have fought that, but he didn't. He said, okay, let, tell me, how will you? Let's go back to classes that I miss. Some classes, like um, delegating, classes like uh, self-control, over-control, uh, and um, God's reliance into, instead of self-reliance, and Jesus' burden, that is light, other than my own uh, reliance and, and my own burden. My own burden. So here, it's interesting. He was humi- humble to listen to it. Jesus was too. Flexibility, the ability and determination to adjust and change when necessary. Flexibility, the ability and determination to adjust and change when necessary. Moses was flexible even when he was at the peak of his leadership role. There are, according to Catholics and Protestants, you know, that there are seven to eight beatitudes. Seven to eight beatitudes. Commonly accepted in Christianity. But there is a say out there that is one more that is missing there. Okay. Are you flexible to, hear, to listen to that one? Are you sure? Okay. It says like this. Blessed are those who are flexible because they will not break. Empowering, the ability and determination to facilitate new and effective ways of approaching our circumstances, circumstances and using our resources. The ability and determination to facilitate new and effective ways of approaching our circumstances and using our resources, our human resources and material resources. Now Moses had an amazing outreach and effectiveness because he embraced a higher way of serving God's people. Jesus did the same. From the very beginning, he chose how many disciples? How many? Okay, we are in the same uh, Bible school then. Twelve. And then later on, he chose how many more? Seven. Yes, same Bible school. We went together. But you know, from the very beginning, 
And then after that, he chose how many apostles? How many apostles? You know it. Come on. Twelve, right? So he didn't want to do this alone. And by the way, Jesus maybe was bigger than Moses, wasn't he? He was the undercover God's prince. Remember that? I'm paying, I'm paying attention to Mindy. So he was the undercover, undercover prince. And he, even though he was he, who he was, and the book of Colossians calls him that he was the image of the invis, invisible God. Imagine that. The image of the invisible God. Oh my goodness, what, you want more? This is too much. That's too much. That's basically Moses' God. And Jesus, he chose people to help him out. And I really like, for those, who, for those of you who have been privileged to being a woman, how many of you are women? <laughs> Hallelujah. Luke chapter 8 says, verse 1 through 4 says about a wonderful group of women who were, who were following Jesus and giving him some resources and inviting him to dinner and a cup of coffee at a Starbucks of anyone, anyone else you like. What is it called? Uh, coffee and tea or leaf or whatever. I don't remember because I don't go there. Normally. <laughs> but Jesus chose other people to help him out. So here is a, a call to action. Should I do it right now, Tim? A call to action this morning. Find a place in your life where you can exercise more humility instead of control, more flexibility instead of self-reliance, and more empowering instead of uh, overburden. Why? Remember Moses? If he would have continued to do that, he would have killed himself and killed somebody else. Seriously. How? Well, he would have given them a very ill advice, and they might have done something wrong. But then he empowered many leaders, and those hidden, uh, those hidden leaders and hidden um, um, gifts and talents and experience and expertise were not used until Jethro, the father-in-law, how many, how many can say thank you for father and mothers-in-law? <laughs> Came and say, hey, you need to, do, to go back to, to school and learn something new here, my friend. I taught you for 40 years. You didn't remember that. Now I'm going to tell you, you have to take care of the ship. How? Delegate that, my friend. Same for us. If you happen to be the coordinator of uh, empowering or engage, or, um, you know, encounter many other of our teams, or you are the deacon moderator, or the session clerk, or whoever you are in, a, in this church, I will ask you, please, ask for help, thankfully. And then you can say, thankfully, I ask for help. My friend, I have one second, one second, yes, one second. 
This person uh, that I met this week, his name is Arthur. He gave me permission to say this this morning. Um, I was entering into this car wash. The first thing that I see is that he's waving at me and he's smiling at me. He is a very good-looking guy, by the way. Like Bobby? <laughs> and seriously, seriously, he is 89 years old. And so I came out of my car, and he basically was waiting for me like we had an appointment. He grabbed me. Can I grab you? Yeah. Like from here? Like this? And say, hey, by the way, and he started talking to me like he knew me. And okay, and suddenly he told, he told me, ah, by the way, should I tell you the best story that I have? I say, okay, <laughs> you're already doing this, right? And he say, Jesus saved my life. And say, wait, what? Jesus saved my life. How? I had a very bad accident two years ago. This guy wanted to kill me. He was practicing for gangs or whatever, gang members or whatever. He said that. He didn't say that. But I'm repeating his story. But I was totally safe. Nothing happened to me. The car was a total. But look at me. He even showed me the picture and all that. And he gave me the picture to show it to you, but I, didn't, I decided not to. Uh, he's too good looking. No, seriously, he's a very nice guy, but he told me this. I want you to tell everybody that we are safe and we are preserved for a mission. And he's now telling everybody. He happens to be the, father, the grandfather of the honor, honor of the place. So his job is to welcome people and tell them that Jesus loved them. That'd be a great job. Nice to be paid to tell people that Jesus loves them. Uh, well, one of the things that just first struck me was the fact that there's so many parallels with the, your story of your father-in-law giving you advice, and then Jethro as Moses' father-in-law giving advice. And uh, to be I did, honest, but I didn't. I see people in charge. yes, yes, it was you know your uh, is, is your finances. However, I do think that finances, money, is something that is often uh, off-topic. Uh, subject for many of us. It's a little too personal. Um, but I wonder, you know, sometimes if those are the areas where we need help. Um, we were not having a bad problem there, but I tell you, we have few debts because of my father-in-law's mm -hmm. advice. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was just kind of thinking of some other things of like, what are some other areas of our life that may be off limits, like um, family, or, you know, for Moses it was work. Um, his schedule, and sometimes I think the places where we need to ask for help are those ones that tend to be most off limits. Um, the other thing that I thought was very interesting was uh, when you talked about empowerment, um, you weren't just talking about it in a personal sense of what are the ways that I need to ask for help in my own personal life, but even in the life of the church. For those who hold leadership roles, um, for those who have responsibilities, that um, this is a model that um, we can adopt and uh, share with other people as well. And I wonder, too, if it may go even broader where Placentia Presbyterian as a church, we're not supposed to shoulder the entire population of Placentia, but rather how do we collaborate also with some of the different organizations, some of the different churches that are in the area to be able to see God at work. 
Um, and then the last thing that I saw was, um, even though this is very specific to this chapter um, in Moses' life, um, this is something we see throughout Scripture, but also modeled through Christ. So this isn't a one-and-done lesson specific for Moses, but it's something that's good for all of us who consider ourselves followers of Jesus. Um, Jesus modeled it himself, and it's how we should model it um, as believers and followers of him. Um, so with that, um, I'm going to invite the worship team up and just close us in prayer right now. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this time when we could gather together on this Palm Sunday morning uh, to worship together, uh, but also to be in community and hear from your scripture in this world, uh, this word. Um, God, we know that there's so many things pressing in our lives. There's a culture in this world that tells us we need to have control. We need to be self-reliant. We need, um, we can't overburden others, but you say that it's actually okay uh, for us to ask for help. It's actually okay for us to invite other people in. Um, in fact, this is something that you want us to learn in terms of being humble, being flexible, and collaborating and empowering others. Um, so let us enter into this closing song of worship um, and allow it, um, this word, to bear fruit in our lives. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.